So maybe you have fallen for that trap. Uh, you watched maybe late night television one night, and the ad comes across the screen, the infomercial comes across the screen, and they're selling you that brand new Ab Cruncher 5000, uh, the new Bowflex 200. Uh, it's the new fitness equipment, and the promise is, 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 is if you buy this machine, if you buy this equipment, it will change your life, right? It will, it will revolutionize the way that you work out, and maybe you'll look like those people on the screen that are working out on these machines that you know have never worked out on those machines ever, and all you got to do is pay, what, $99 a month for the next 10 years, and this equipment can be yours, uh, so maybe you've bought one of those machines before in the past. Uh, maybe you've just walked into the store and you've gotten a treadmill or an elliptical before. The, the reason we buy those things is, is what? We believe that those equipment, that machine, will help us become healthier, right? It, it'll help us to, to maybe craft the body that, that we want to have. But you know, and I know, that most of the time these things just collect dust. They sit in the corners of the rooms, and I've seen these mainly as glorified clothes hangers. You have clothes hanging on them, you have towels draped over them, you have boxes piled upon them. Maybe they're even hidden because so many things are in front of them and on top of them. These things collect dust. So why do we buy these things? The gym membership is like the same thing. Maybe you, maybe you have a gym membership. Uh, I, I've noticed that there's two types of people that go to the gym, and I've gone to a gym the last several years, a local one, and I've talked to the owners, and they have verified this to me as well. Uh, there's one person that is the dedicated person. You know, they show up multiple times a week. They show up a lot during the month. They go to the gym all the time. Then you have the person that has a membership that never goes. Um, and th they have told me that, that you wouldn't believe how many people pay every single month, yet never show up to the gym. And I, and I wonder, for those people that do that, maybe some of you are in this room, why we do that. Uh, and, I, and I think part of it is we believe that that membership will help us become healthier. Right? It's the same thing like the equipment. Look, we might 100% believe that. In your mind, all right, that membership will help me. That equipment will help me become healthier. My body will change because of those things. If I eat better, if I drink less soda, if I take in less sugar, all those things will help me to become healthier. But let me ask you, does believing in that make any difference to your health? Simply believing in it, does it make any difference to your health? Here, here's the idea here, guys, is that believing when it comes to your health makes no practical difference, Right? I mean, no practical difference. You can believe all you want that that equipment will help you, but until you do it, until you get on that machine, it will not. I mean, it'd be nice if it did, right? It'd be nice if you could just believe, and all of a sudden the muscles grow and the fat goes away. It'd be, it'd be nice if you could just believe that and make it happen, right? That would be incredible. But man, it takes work, right? It takes commitment. It takes time to make that happen. You think, I think faith is, is sort of like that. You see, a lot of people remind me of that when it comes to that faith. And, and they might say, you know, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. You know, I believe these things, but maybe if we looked at their life, you would not be able to tell that they believed in those things at all. See, maybe it ends simply at belief, and there's no practical difference that has happened in their life whatsoever. You know, maybe, maybe you feel like that a little bit. Maybe you've been coming to church for, for, for months, for several years, and, and maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, you know, I, I believe in God, you know, I believe in Jesus, I do, but maybe if we looked at your life, there would be no practical difference. And don't get me wrong when I say this, but I think it's kind of the same thing. Because, you know, when you believe, just because you believe in itself, it makes no practical difference in your life if it ends simply at belief. Do you see where I'm going? If you believe just by itself, it makes no practical difference if it ends right there. You see, Jesus says, look, even the demons believe. Do you remember when he said that? Even the demons believe. Even Satan believes. But he says, what are you doing because of that belief? 
James says, look, faith without works is what? It's dead. Faith without deeds, faith without works is dead. Jesus says, take up your cross every day and believe in, no, he says every day and follow me. So here's what I think Jesus is saying to us is not that believing is not important. Don't get me wrong when I say that. Like believing is the start of it. But what he's saying is, look, we are not called to be believers, but we are called to be followers. And it's just like that equipment, just like the gym memberships, just like all those things. You can believe all you want in those things, but until you do it, until you put it into practice, your life will not change because of it. Uh, Faith is the same way. Until you follow Jesus, you will not be a disciple. Simply believing will not get you there. Are you all tracking with me so far? I've lost none of you. Good. Uh, I I want to show you the difference between believing and following. So when I look at believing, I see it as kind of a vertical type of faith. It's something that you can do in isolation. You know, you can go up to the mountainside, you can go in a cave all by yourself, you can bring a Bible, you can believe in God, you can believe in Jesus. It can happen vertically just between you and God. God knows your heart, right? All this happens right here. But following is very different. And I would say following is harder. See, when it comes to believing, you can believe in isolation, as I said, but you can't follow Jesus in isolation. And you might say, you know, oh, I'm not in isolation. I get that. We're all not stuck in a cave like monks and stuff like that and, and huddled down in candlelight. We're not like that. But I think sometimes we treat our faith in isolation. See, a lot of us maybe believe and we have a faith that is very isolated in our lives, maybe just between you and God. And I'm saying, hey, we can't follow Jesus in isolation. I hope to prove that to you by the end of this. And so maybe this is kind of rubbing up against a little bit of what you have been taught, right? And, and I'm aware that maybe some of you have been taught and maybe some of you just kind of believe that, that Christianity and that being a Christian is all about just believing. And I'm kind of here to, say, to tell you that Jesus and all of the writers in the New Testament say something quite different. Yeah, believing is important, but it's all about following Jesus that we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus is saying, look, when you follow me, your life should be different. He's saying, look, I'm not giving you something to believe in. I'm giving you something to follow. And because of that, your entire life should be different, and your marriages should be different because of it. You know, relationships with your kids should be different because of it. Everything you do at work should be different because of it. It is a way of life. It is following, not simply believing. And so I want to look at a few things in the New Testament, and I'm actually kind of picking out a few things, and and I'll have the verse references here. But these all come from the letters of Paul. Uh, So Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, as, as probably a lot of you know. He wrote a lot of letters. Paul was a great evangelist, a great church planner. He traveled around, and, and, and a lot of churches happened because of Paul. And so as he would travel, what he would do then is he would often pin letters to these churches. So the church would go, and it would get started, and Paul would move on to plant another church, and often he would write these letters. And so when we get Romans, we get Ephesians, we get Galatians, Paul is writing these letters back to these churches. And what you'll see here is that Paul is saying, hey, yeah, believe in Jesus, but for the most of his words, he's urging the Christians and urging the people that have faith that, hey, this is not just a vertical faith. This is something that happens horizontally as well. This is a faith that happens with the relationships in your life. And so I'm calling this the one another church. I think if we had to define the way that Paul describes church and how we are as Christians and how we are as followers of Christ, it is a one another type of church. I was talking to someone after the first service. I would love a church name to be that. The one another church. I think that would be perfect. We can change our name maybe after the service. We'll do that. Um, Let me show up on the screen kind of what this looks like. And look, I could pull out a hundred different references here. These all come from Paul's letters as he's urging the Christians from from the Roman church, from the Galatian church. And, And you'll see here. He says, be devoted to one another. You'll see why I call this the one another church. Be devoted to one another. Later in Romans, live in harmony with one another. 
You know, and, and I read that, and it, it's, to me, it's, it's kind of ironic, because when we're talking about believing and following, sometimes I've seen the most kind of fervent believers cause the most disharmony, the most, like, disunity, if that's even a word. I don't know if it is. But you know what I'm saying? Like, these people that maybe they stand on an issue, and all of a sudden, they've caused fractions and, and churches to blow up and fractions. Look, a lot of our denominations exist, I think, because we have believers and not followers. Very simply. Jesus calls us to be followers, and because of that, we're supposed to live in harmony with one another. Uh, don't judge one another, Romans 14. Serve one another, Galatians. Bear with one another, Ephesians. That's, don't be a jerk, y'all. Like, right? The person ne- next to you, the, the person on your left and your right, they might make you really mad at times. But we're supposed to bear with one another. We're supposed to love that person, serve that person, peaceful to that person, bear with one another, be kind to one another. Forgive one another in Colossians. Encourage one another. You all get the point? Yeah, constantly, constantly. And this is almost word for word where it's always one another. Paul's saying, look, this is a one another church. And what you're seeing here is that, look, you can believe in isolation. We can have that vertical faith, and that's part of it. But it's got to extend outward. It's got to be horizontal. We have to have these relationships in our lives. See, following Jesus is about a horizontal faith, not just a vertical faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to flip there, we're going to stay there for a few minutes here if you want to follow along. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews is, is, is an interesting book in the New Testament. It's, it's one that we don't really know who wrote it, even to this day, we're, we're kind of confused on that. Traditionally, people say Paul. It doesn't really look like Paul wrote it, though, because the language is very different. It, it's a very different book, but man, it's in our Bible because there's a beautiful picture here of what Jesus is all about in our lives. And we'll see some images here of like the Jewish language, and I'll, I'll try to make sure we're all on the same page here because it, it gets into some kind of Jewish stuff. But Hebrews chapter 10, uh, and we'll start in uh, verse 19. So the writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Now, I don't know if you're tracking with me at all when we read those things. You might be just completely lost. Um, if you are, let me catch you up. So in the Old Testament, they would build a tabernacle. And some of you know what these tabernacles all are. There's detailed instructions within Exodus and Leviticus, if you read those books. And in the tabernacle, you would have a courtyard. So in the courtyard would be all, you'd say, that'd be you and me. It'd be the normal people, right? We'd all be kind of in the courtyard. And there would be a tent of meeting. There would be a building here in the middle of the courtyard. And in that, there would be a holy place. And there would be the most holy place, the holy of holies. And so you have three different areas where you have the courtyard, all the normal people. And the holy place would be the priests. And the most holy place, the holy of holies, would be the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. You all with me? Good. All right. Even if you're not, stay with me. So on all these three places, what you're seeing here is that Jesus, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that, look, Jesus has taken a place of that curtain to where the curtain that was separating the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies, is now gone. And so he's saying, look, even the normal people on the outside, you and me, we can now enter into the tent of meeting. We can enter into the building to where we can go into the holy of holies, the most holy place to where God's presence resides. And is that a beautiful image that Jesus has now torn down these barriers so now we enter into where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God resides in relationship with him because Jesus has become that sacrifice. No longer an animal sacrifice, but Jesus' body. So that's what he's describing here in, in these few verses. Uh, verse 21. And since we have a great priest, that is Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so you see kind of this sacrificial imagery still going on to where we enter into that Holy of Holies now because of Jesus. 
and our bodies are cleansed. And so what, what Hebrews is describing here is this vertical faith, this, this faith that is between you and God. And we're, he's setting it up to where we see the belief that is happening here. But the writer says, hey, don't forget what else I'm about to say, because it doesn't end right here. And so let's look at 23. And he says, let us hold unswervingly, I, just, I love that word, unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur, what, one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, yeah, this is part of it. The belief is part of it, but don't forget about this. See, the vertical faith is important to get your belief in line and to get your body in line and to get your cleansed body in line. But, man, this is important, too, because it's, this, it's in this part. It's in the isolation part where we only believe that sometimes faith goes away if we don't have this. And so the Hebrews writer is saying, hey, make sure this is in your life. Make sure the relationships are in your life. Make sure you have people that are spurring you on. Make sure you have people that are encouraging you in your faith. Because if you're doing this alone, sometimes faith dies. And maybe you've known people in your life, and maybe you are that person, and maybe you've come back to church for the first time, I don't know, to where you've seen faith die. Uh, you, you think about a, a high school student that moves off to college for the first time, and maybe they go two or three hours down the road, maybe they go ten hours down the road, maybe they move to another country, I don't know. Um, and, you, and you think about that, I'll call them a child, but a young adult at that point, and you think about what has been pulled away from them. Where maybe they've lost maybe their youth pastor that they've had for several years and all of the Christian relationships in their life. And maybe even their family they don't talk to as much. And you pull back all of those relationships. And it shouldn't surprise us that faith tends to die a lot for these college students that then move off. And they've lost all of those relationships. It's because faith sometimes dies in isolation. Whereas in faith grows with the relationships in our lives. Uh, you think about someone who maybe got frustrated at the church. And again, maybe you might be that person that, you know, they put the wrong paint color on the walls or, or something happened and they're like, I don't need the church. I'm, I can believe in God and believe in Jesus without the church. And we've all seen this story happen a lot of times where there goes the faith pretty soon after that. And so what you have to see is that your faith, uh, your kid's faith, your spouse's faith is so deeply connected to the relationships in your life. Jesus is saying this, Paul is saying this, the writer in Hebrews is saying this, that your faith has to be horizontal for your faith to grow, for your faith to stay. And I believe that we go from believers to followers because of the people in our lives. And so maybe just think about what we're doing right now. Like we're, we're sitting in, in rows, we're, we're quote unquote in church. You know, if you ask someone, where do you go to church? You, you usually are talking about this that we do, you know, once a week. So we're sitting in rows, we're listening, we're we're singing, we're watching videos a little bit, and we go, but, and this is going to sound weird coming from me, but this is not church. Y'all understand that when I say that? Not that this isn't part of church. This is a part, but this in itself is not church. You know, when Jesus is talking about a whole new way of life, he's not talking about what we're doing here. He's talking about completely life change. And a lot of times when I think about church, man, I don't think about rows, but I think about circles. So maybe you can think about circles in your life, and maybe it's been a small group. Uh, maybe it's even just been in your homes. But a lot of times church is all about the relationships in our lives rather than just sitting in rows and taking in. The church is about the people. Uh, in a minute or two, the, there's going to be some small group leaders, and I'm trying to go pretty short so they have time uh, to get up here this morning and talk with you. There's going to be some small group leaders that come up that are going to talk to you about some new groups that are forming. Uh, my encouragement this morning is, is not just to see this as another programming thing that we're trying just to throw at you and, and fill up your schedule. Uh, that's not our goal at Grace, is to fill up your schedule with stuff. 
Uh, we very much value this and see this as a way that your faith stays and grows, very simply. And we know how important this is for your faith to do that in your life. And so two questions to ask yourself before we get into this, which is, is anyone outside of your family spurring you on to live out your faith? And I say outside of your family because I think we kind of get a bad perception that is to think that maybe our spouse is enough to do that. And like men, let me be pretty clear, is like we need other men in our lives other, other than our wives to spur us on. We got to have other men in our lives. And uh, wives, same thing. You need other women in your life to spur you on. Uh, married couples, we need other couples to spur us on, to encourage us in our faith. See, faith sometimes dies in isolation. Second one is, is your Christian experience in a row or a circle? If, if this is the extent of your church, I'm saying you're missing out on what church it is. See, church almost always happens best, I think, in a circle than a row. One last thing, and, and, and I'll quit and the leaders will come up. Um, let me just say, like, this, this is good for you, right? Small groups are good for you. You get that? I don't know if I've convinced a lot of you of that. I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, the gym equipment. It, it's, it's going to the gym, the memberships. Like, you, you get that that stuff's good for you, but it's simply putting it into practice that is sometimes the issue. You know, you, look, you can believe 100% that small groups are good for you until you do it. You're not going to see it happen in your life. Uh, we're going to have a lot of opportunities up here. There's going to be uh, six different new groups that are forming. There's existing groups that, that, that are here at the church that we might be able to plug you into. Uh, I would encourage you, encourage you to look at these opportunities. See them as not just a, a time scheduling thing. See it as a way for your faith to really blossom, to really grow in your life, maybe like it's never has before. Uh, check out this video, and then the leaders are going to come up.